Did you ever go on a journey as a child which seemed to go on forever? <laughs> You're there, sat in the car, occasionally snoozing. It just seemed to go on and on and on. And then, of course, came the immortal line, are we nearly there yet? And it might be for some of us that this year of living life well seems a bit like that. Are we nearly there yet? Have we got to the end? But also, it might be for some of us, we started the year hopeful. Hopeful of change in our lives. Hopeful to see things different. Hopeful for practices, for disciplines, for things to be different in our lives. And yet, if we're honest, it's not quite worked out how we would hope. And it's not the changes we've longed to see are not that yet. And so today, what we're going to do is we're interrupting, as it were, to have a little bit of a stop, a pause, to see how we're doing. For cars, we are familiar with having to have an MOT, where we send our car in, and the people who know take a look under the bonnet to see how things are going, whether the car's still safe to go along. We're used to doing that, and however much or little we may end up having to spend, whether it's just a new wiper blade or a whole new engine, we're familiar with this. We may not like it, but we know actually it's probably pretty good. Have we ever, though, done a spiritual MOT? Taken a look under the hood of where we're at as an individual in our lives to see how we're doing. What warning lights are on our dashboards? for the things going on in our sphere. That's what today is all about, and that's what we're going to focus on, taking stock of where we're at, whoever we are, right now in our lives. And in our booklets, uh, there's a section. And as I say, if you haven't got one of these, do grab one on your way out. They're really useful. And at the back, there's a whole section, as we'll explain in a moment, about taking stock, helping us ask good questions for ourselves of where we're at. And as we get into this, we're going to read a bit of the Bible. We're going to read from a letter from Paul to his close friend, his kind of mentee, somebody he's tried to train, Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and the words are going to come up on the screen, reading from verse 7 to 16. Let me read it to you. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and for life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's why we labor and strive. Because we've put our hope in the living God, who's the saviour of all people, and especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't, look anyone, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Don't neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 
Paul's writing to a new young leader, Timothy, laying out some foundations of what good leadership is, but the impact that his life can have. And the key phrase for us this morning is this. Watch your life and doctrine closely. There's two different aspects of that. There's this, how you live your life, the things you do, the things you spend your time doing, and this, your doctrine, what you believe. Now, Timothy's a leader. You may or may not be a leader, but these two things are closely linked. What you believe to be true about your life and the life of the people around you and the way you live your life, they are interlinked. Let me illustrate. Down our road, we've recently had one of these signs put up. Put your hands up if you've also got one of these down your road. Keep your hands up if it's made any difference whatsoever. A few of us. What we believe about this sign changes everything. Looking out of our kitchen window, the people who believe this sign is good go slower. The people who only keep to this limit because they might get caught when they think nobody is watching them don't go slower. In other words, do we believe this will impact safety? If we do, we might change our speed. Or do we believe it's there just to catch us out? If so, when nobody's looking, we will go for it. What we believe to be true impacts the way we live. And today, we're going to talk about taking a spiritual MOT, about what we believe to be true in our lives and the way it impacts the way we live our lives. You may not be a follower of Jesus, or you might call yourself a Christian, but you're not really sure what that means. This is true for you. You may have been following Jesus for decades. This is true for you. Wherever you're at, wherever we're all at, watch our life and doctrine closely, what you believe to be true and the way you live your life. Let me illustrate again. I wonder if your house looks a bit like this. A couple of months ago, we had a family gathering, my side of the family, and which I, it all went quiet for a moment. And I paused and I looked up and I realized of the adults, eight of them were on their phones in this quiet public gathering of this nice family, uh, including me, should I say, because I looked up from my phone. And of course, it's a reminder, isn't it, that what we believe to be true about our actions will flow out into the way we live our lives. I saw this tweet a little while ago about the way that children read. One child development expert was asked, how do you persuade your child to read instead of playing with smartphones? The expert said, children don't hear us, they imitate us. What we believe to be true will come out in our life and others do see that life and therefore will live differently as a result. So, this question, these MOT, uh, is an opportunity for us to just take stock about what we believe and about how we're living. Because your life has a vast potential. Because look again at what Paul said to Timothy. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Why? 
Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Your life has a massive impact, a massive potential on the lives of those around you. So, with that framework said, we're going to jump in with some of these questions. The stakes are high for you. If you look at the back of this booklet, you'll see there's a section. Don't worry if you haven't got it. There's loads on the way out, but don't worry. You can also download it on our website, whatever. We'll show you this morning. There's this section, Taking Stock. In it, there's a variety of questions, but there's also this statement which we've begun to use over the last few months about our heartbeat as a church, that we long to be a church that reflects and transforms Birmingham because people belong to thriving communities in which they get to know Jesus. That's our hope. That's what we're building for. That's what we long. And within that, there's five different dimensions that I think helpfully provide us with some good questions for our MOT about what it means to reflect Birmingham, about what it means to transform Birmingham, about what it really means to belong, and what a thriving communities look like, and ultimately, what does knowing Jesus look like? So we're going to simply explore those five things very, very quickly before we then come to respond as we take communion together. And I'd encourage you, whoever you are, wherever you're at, Explore these questions on your own. Take some time, 30 minutes if you've got that, five-minute chunks if you've got that, to just ask yourself a question. What does this look like in my life? How am I doing? And as we get into these questions, can I just pause for a moment? As I was thinking about this, we were worshipping this morning as I was reflecting. Um, one of the things that, that uh, really struck me is that often these sort of things, if you come to these sort of things, there's a sort of heaviness. Because you know, if you're anything like me, there's so much in your life that you wish was different. I wonder if for some of us, if not for many or most of us, the doctrine that we need to watch is not so much about us being sinners, but actually the recognition of all that God has done for us. And that we stand here, that we've forgotten and lost sight of the cross of Jesus Christ through which we can be saved. And we're so burdened by our own guilt and shame that when we come to questions like this, this, it makes us feel heavy rather than actually it's the good news of Jesus that sets us free and changes us. Let me explain as we go forwards. Here's the first group of questions about being a church that reflects Birmingham. Time and time again in the Bible, you read that the impact of the good news of Jesus has a dramatic impact on the people in a community. The reality is the more we understand the good news of Jesus, the more our view of everyone else dramatically changes. It just does. Paul says the same to Timothy. Do you notice it in our reading? That's why we labor and strive, because we've put our hope in the living God who what? is the saviour of people like you, of all people. All. Do you notice that? That means a good question we want to ask as a church is, we want to better reflect the city we're in. Riverside should look different because it's in Birmingham than if it was in Grimsby or in Boston or in Barnsley or in Edinburgh. We want to reflect that. We want to 
reflect on the good news of Jesus and see the difference it makes to us. I saw this quote on Twitter recently, which I really love. When churches are inhabited by people who look alike, think alike, vote alike, we unplug the power of the gospel. Our great witness is when, un, when natural-born enemies become unnatural-born brothers and sisters because of Christ. On Monday night at the prayer gathering, we prayed about Brexit. And what I love about praying about Brexit at the moment is that everyone presumes their way of praying is the right gospel way. And the beautiful thing in this room, there will be a vast different perspective about Brexit. I'm not going to go there, please. I use it as an example to say, that's beautiful and right. Of course, I'm right, but <laughs> why? Because the good news of Jesus transcends all of that. And when we've come to grips with the fact that God has saved us by his grace, not by what we do, that totally changes how I see everybody else. And the questions we want to ask us in our own spiritual empathy about where we're at are these. When you think about who you spend most time with, are they people, quotes like you? Whatever you mean by that. Why? Why not? Are you someone who more readily thinks of yourself more highly than other people? I've always got it right. Or less than others? I could never match up to them. How does the good news of Jesus change how you see yourself? What? What's your doctrine? In other words, if you're a sinner saved by God's grace, you can't think of yourself more highly or more lowly than anyone else. We want to be a church that reflects the city, that everyone feels welcome here because of Jesus. So some questions for us. Reflecting. That's the first thing, how we're doing that. The second aspect is this, transforming. We long to be a church that transforms, not only reflects our city, but transforms our city. We're called to bring life to this world. That's why we're called Riverside. As a river flows, wherever water goes, what happens? Fruit Trees or, you know, plants grow, life, vibrancy, health. Wherever we go as Riversiders, as people who are plugged into this community, bringing life and transformation, wherever we're going, that's always been the DNA. So the question is, how are we doing? Taking stock of our lives. What impact are we having? Whether that be in the boardrooms of the great companies or whether it be at the school gate, whether it be on your knees late at night because that's the only one minute that you've got in the day or whether it be in a high-powered business meeting somewhere in the world, how are we making a difference? Because we are. Watch our life and doctrine closely. Notice what Paul said to Timothy. Godliness has a value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and for the life to come. And so the questions in the booklet are this. What's good in our culture that you can help promote and celebrate? One of the joys about being in Birmingham is the diversity and the life. What's good about that that we can go, yeah? But what's missing in our culture that you can creatively contribute towards? What are the gaps? And then what's evil in our culture that you can help stop? We've heard about it already. Slavery. Things that we can close our eyes to. We don't want to know about that. La, 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 la. And also what's broken in our culture that we can work to restore. Good questions for us. How are we doing? 
how we're doing. If we understand the good news of Jesus, all that he's done stepping in the God of creation into our broken world to bring transformation, when we grasp that, we are change makers wherever we go. May it be so. So that's the second aspect. The third aspect is this, belonging, belonging. We long to be a church in which more and more people feel they can really belong in a culture where we've now got a loneliness minister. Where the reality is that in our connected world, we're spending less and less time with other people and people are feeling more and more disconnected. God is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's relationship within himself. And so therefore, being part of a community in our individualistic world is so important. So who are the people we belong to? How are those relationships going? Look again at what Paul said to Timothy. Set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity so that people know about our lives and see our lives and then that therefore has a massive impact on them and we see their life. Isn't it brilliant to just hear from Joe and just be inspired by that, rubbing up against each other, spurring each other on, how are we doing? Something struck me a while ago when I read this quote about John Lennon. It's a disturbing quote from his son, Julian. He was a hypocrite. Dad could talk about peace and love out loud to the world, but he could never show it to the people who supposedly meant the most to him, his wife and son. Try listening to Imagine now. It's hard, isn't it? The reality is we all know there would be places and people that could say that to us. But the more we get to grips with who God is and what he's done for us, opening our lives with our weakness to other people, asking them to pray into the gaps, into the stuff where we're not showing the love or whatever it might be, the more they will open up and we can be that unity of people who belong to each other. Belong to each other. I saw this quote the other day. Do you see it? It's brilliant from Huffington Post. Uh, we deleted an early version of this video that incorrectly described, describes to David Attenborough as a naturist. We, of course, meant to describe him as a naturalist. We regret the error. We all get things wrong, don't we? But groups within Riverside are so important when we are open to people speaking into our lives and also needed to speak into other people's lives, whatever the things we get wrong. Where, where, where are the people? Where are the gaps? So here's the questions that we've asked in this booklet for taking stock of where the people we belong to. What are the key relationships in your life? Which of those need most attention right now? And how can you play your part in spurring the people you belong to towards love and good deeds? They're great questions for you to explore, for me to explore. So that's the third aspect. The fourth is this. We're racing through. Thriving. People belong to thriving communities. That word you've heard a lot recently. It's a very buzzword, a very now word at the moment, but it's a thoroughly biblical word. When Jesus speaks on the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about blessed are those who, blessed are those who, blessed are those. It means almost flourishing in every area of life. So how are we thriving? In every area of life. We may pray a good prayer and talk the good talk, but we know deep down that we're really battling in this. We all are like that. 
The more we get to know Jesus and all that he's done for us, the more all of life will be impacted. We long for marriages, for friendships, for family environments to be better because we know Jesus more. We long for our workplaces, the way we manage teams, the way we care for each other to be better because we know Jesus more. All of life, we long for the way we go to the pub or we go to a gig or we do whatever it is that floats our boat. We long for that to be changed because we know Jesus more and more and more. All of life, not just the Sunday, the kind of the God stuff, if you know what I mean. So that's the, the next aspect, thriving. So look at this, what Paul said to Timothy. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. I love that. Train yourself to be godly. We live in a society, Tolstoy said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but very few think of changing themselves. We're so quick on social media to point out errors in other people. God's in the business of transformation for all of us. So here's the questions for this thriving. Which areas of life would you say are thriving and which aren't? And are there things that you can do to help those areas thrive more? What might need particular attention now? So that's the four things. But the fifth is, if you like, the, the headline. All of this only comes about the more we get to know Jesus. And biblically, the word knowing Jesus is not just about knowing about. You know, I, some of you know my wife, Claire. You'll be able to say a few things about her. Some of you, her parents are here, will know her better than most of us here. But even they don't know her like I know her. Adam knew Eve, it said, and then they had a child. <laughs> hmm. Because biblically, knowing is intimacy. And so knowing Jesus is not just knowledge about, it is that walking with that deep relationship, that intimacy as one. And therefore, if we want to see transformation in our church, if we want to see transformation in our city, if we want to reflect Birmingham, if we want to have more people who feel really they belong, and we want to be thriving communities, it all comes about our own growing intimacy with Jesus. The very last words of the letter from Paul to Timothy were this. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what's falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. And I wonder for some of us, and I know it's true for me, this is the thing I so quickly forget. This is the doctrine that I move on from. You see, religion says, I've messed up, dad's going to kill me. Whereas Christianity says, I've messed up, I need to call dad. And that's the thing I very quickly move on from, and I guess that many of us do. It's knowing Jesus more. He's there with wide open arms. So there's questions for you to explore in the booklet as well. As we come to communion, I heard something the other day which, which I loved. It was a theologian, a writer, talking about when you get face to face with Jesus in heaven, when you've died and you come face to face with him. He, he was imagining what he might say, and these words deeply moved me. This is what Jesus might say, this writer said. You've had a difficult journey. You must be tired and dirty. Let me wash your feet. The banquet's ready. And may we be people who live in the light of that 
doctrine. That God is there with open arms. Why? Because in a moment we're going to celebrate communion. Where we realize the God of the universe opened his arms to all. For those of us who recognize I've messed up, I need help, Dad. And so we go knowing that Jesus himself died in our place. And when we stand there, how can we not accept others? How can we not want to bring transformation? How can we not belong to our brothers and sisters? How can we not want to thrive in all areas of life? May it be so.